How's it going, everybody? This is the What Makes a Song Stink podcast. Um, there's, you know, it's a podcast. So we got the Strat on the wall now. If you're watching this on YouTube, and um, but I still, still not sure where I'm going to put Hoffman. Had to take him out of the case because I actually stole one of Kim's uh, frames to put him in for the last episode. I had to give Kim a frame back, but then I got to frame up Hoffman and I'm going to put him somewhere. So that's for the people that are watching this on YouTube. Um, and also, you're familiar with the YouTube videos uh, that I do. These are different things, obviously. You're looking at producer Adam over there. Yep. He's, uh, you know, he's the one that got in touch with me about starting a goddamn podcast. And uh, I think the best way to tell the story is if we did like a Gilligan's Island kind of thing. This is how the podcast came to be. Um, down, right? Sit right down and I'll tell you the tale, tale of a new podcast. World needed another podcast, and here is another podcast. So Adam sent me DM, said he liked my videos. Said you ever think about doing a podcast? I said who knows. But then he said I can pitch it to the Starburns Audio Network, and Community is one of my favorite shows. So I said yeah, whatever. So I said yeah, whatever. So Adam pitched the podcast and they picked it up, oh yeah. I was excited, but then we had to do a podcast, another <laughs> podcast. So that's it. So now there's another. Now there's a What Makes This Song Stink podcast. It's a podcast. Good of you to frame it as a maritime disaster. Yeah, kind of. So uh, we bought a lot of gear, and now we're doing this. And uh, there's still going to be the videos, but uh, this is going to be consistent. And uh, this is Adam over there. He booked our guest today, Mike Mechanic, who's an author. I got to know him. He's awesome. He's a cool dude. Uh, knows a shitload about, like, um, you know, he's, he grew up in the Bay Area, like Gilman Street punk scene and all that stuff, and that's cool. And he wrote a book called Jackpot, which is about, like, you know, the super rich people. And uh, so we had a great conversation about that. And uh, and then he wanted to do All I Need is a Miracle by Mike and the Mechanics because his name is Mike Mechanic. So he's had that experience. So it was good. It was a good episode. Um, so we're going to get to it. We're going to break it down. But first, we got to do some news. Um, let me go on Instagram here and uh, type in Disturbed. Well, it looks like Disturbed One's our new single, Hey You, is out now. Lincoln Bile. We're going to have to listen to it. Well, that was July 14th. All right. So uh, if you want to, you can go on. This video looks awesome. Okay. So let's see if we can get. There he is. There's Raymond. He's the best. Um, so you can go on Disturbed. Uh, they've got 1.5 million followers. You can be one of them. And you could check out their new song called Hey You, which is a good name of a song. Pink Floyd did well by it. So, you know, let's see how they did. And then. Adam, let's make a note. Next episode, we'll listen to Hey You, but I want everybody to enjoy the last verse of Sound of Silence right here. Let's check it out. Okay, let's talk to Mike Mechanic about Mike and the Mechanics. What makes this song stink? So I have a, I have a ton of questions for you, Mike. First of all, um, thanks for being on What Makes This Song Stink. Um, My pleasure. Your name is Mike Mechanic, and that's awesome. You're uh, you're an author, yes. And you wrote a book called Jackpot, which I plan on reading in full. Trans I did not read this book, but what I did do, Mike, is that I watched a bunch of interviews from you last night, 
because I'm like, you know, I I was I knew I was going to be talking to you, and I like to try a little bit. I'm I'm trying here, Mike. You know, it's a podcast. Um, so I was like, this is a, a fascinating topic that you wrote about you know, the uh, as the super wealthy, as I think you call them, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's classifications of 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 these just rich people that we have ideas of. And, uh, and you took that fascination that I think we all have and just did a ton of research on how these millionaires and billionaires actually live. And, uh, and you actually like show that there, you can have empathy for these people because their lives are just so lonely and terrible <laughs> in a way. That's I mean, one not, th- not all of them, yeah. but you know, there, there's definitely, it's, it's a, it's a mixed blessing. I mean, I, I think there's actually research showing that people who, who feel under threat become more materialistic. And I wonder, I don't know if that has to, you know, if the rap thing plays into that as a, a trope, you know, the the rapper from the streets, like yeah. looking to project live in large, you know. A lot of super wealthy people that I talked to had had some kind of like scare in their life or some sort of tragedy. You know, they, they would have a, a parent die young or, a, you know, an abusive relationship or, or just these all these things. And it was like, I wonder if that, motivate some people to go and you know try to just make a lot of money and kind of put a focus on that do you get into the and and listen we're going to get to the song and everything like that but one of the coolest things that's happening with this podcast because i'm just figuring out how i want my podcast to really go and thanks again for being on it is that the song stinks and we're always going to get there, but I get to meet all of these people, right? And I'm, and I'm, and you know what we're doing right now is we don't know each other. You don't know me at all, right? And and yeah. I didn't have you, but I, I this is just a very fascinating topic because I actually wrote a paper back in uh back in college, um, and it's a good thing that I have that degree. I, I have a podcast about shitty songs. Uh, student loans catch me if you can. Um, but like you know, I have a psychology degree. Um, and I'm doing a lot with it, Mike. Um, but I did write a, a paper on on um, power and what it does to the human psyche. People are nice. They get a little bit of power. They get less nice. They get a little power. They get less nice. And then they're they're more likely to just you know treat people like pawns. The more power that they get, and very rarely do the two things stay the same. So it's like you know, with power, does your you know compassion go with it? And do you, did you look into that aspect at all? Yeah, there's actually a whole, there's a couple of chapters. One is called the psychology of consumption. Mm-hmm. There's another chapter, uh, I think it's called losing touch where I hang out with Paul Piff, who's a psychologist who studies wealth and behavior. Mm-hmm. What he does is he looks at sort of the gradient of, of someone's relative wealth and or status. And he looks at the differences and sort of values and attitudes within that group and behavior. People seem to have less compassion. They're less socially aware of people around them. They're much, I mean, it makes sense in a way because the more money you have, the more resources you have, the less you kind of need other people to support you. Mm-hmm. Now, what you do need is, you know, you need wealth managers and guys in suits to, you know, manage your money and things like that. And you might, you know, need your your professional chef to cook for you, your gardener to do your gardening for yeah. you. I mean, that's also, that's all also might a detriment. They all might be skimming. Billy Joel, you know what I mean? Matter of trust. It's like this guy's writing hit after hit after hit. His accountant, who's his, who's his wife's brother, 
doing him dirty. So it's like these are the was problem. he? Yeah, he, he was. was. Oh yeah, off. big time. He was skimming yeah. off the top. He was cooking the books. So it's just like you know, these are the problems that they have to deal with. We have to deal with like how much is in my account right now? And it's just kind of like I wrote a song once. Where it was like, uh, I think, and I do not, I don't, listen, I'm not Bob Dylan over here. I don't try to be whatever. Um, but it was just kind of like, you know, um, if, when you're lonely, you worry about somebody. If you've got somebody, you worry about, you know, your money. If you have some money, you worry about your body. And one thing that I always think is just like, man, do these rich guys, they just really don't want to drop dead because they have it all, but they know they have to drop dead. It's like, I know I'm going to drop dead, but like, I still have a lot I need to, I want to get, like my whole thing is I want to get a hot tub. So it's just like, if I get the hot tub, then am I just going to be like, wait, was that a heart thing that I got going on? Like while I'm in the tub, do you know what I mean by that? You know, they are, they are obsessed actually with, longevity yeah i mean these guys i i went into for an interview with one guy who is you know you know tens of millions of dollars probably but he, run, he runs a big you know private equity company mm -hmm. um sounds fun and that sounds really fun and he, he said just yesterday i was meeting with a billionaire friend of mine and this guy was going through all these weird treatments to prolong his life and this is sort of a common theme it's like you have the billion dollars it's like oh now I can, I have generations of enjoyment, but I'm going to die in 30 years. Yeah. So like I Paul McCartney, extend it. does anyone want to die less than Paul McCartney? I mean, it's just like, I almost feel bad for the guy. Like he has it all. Like he's not only like, you know, rich forever, always has been, but also it's like, he's the coolest. So he's not like just this like, you know, hedge fund asshole that like, you know, is just this guy that like walks around and then people like kiss his ass whenever he's at a, the, the function. I mean, it's Paul McCartney, so it's just like he's got all the cool rocker dudes coming up to him. He can go to an island anytime he wants, and it's just like, you know, he's just really, and he's a beetle. Like, imagine dying and you're a beetle. Like, come on, man, I can't die. I'm a beetle. So it's just yeah, like. There's not many left. Yeah, so that's why Walt Disney was 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 freezing himself, right? So it's just kind of like they, they it's, it's harder to die if you're, if you have it all, right, in a way. Um, yeah. one other thing before we get to the song, because you have a really funny, I, I love, you know, at first when I was just like, why are we doing this song? Then I was like, oh, this is who we're doing this song <laughs> with. Okay. So we, we are going to get to it, listener. Take it easy. You but know, I did want to say there is a music analogy I use in the book, you okay. know, and you know how the, there's all the old blues songs where you got the money and all your friends are coming around and, mm -hmm. and, you know, they want to hang out with you and the women and whatever. Yeah. Yep. And then you, you lose your money. And everybody abandons you. Yeah. So there's a guy in my book who was one of the Netscape employees when Netscape went public. That was the first dot com that went crazy on the stock market. Mm -hmm. And he's like 29 years old. He had just been hired there three months before. Um, he was just some coder from Pennsylvania. He had dropped out of high school, dropped out of college, done this coding stuff on his own, got hired. And then there's the IPO. And he wakes up and he is worth like in today's money, like eight and a half million dollars. And then all of a sudden, some of his some of his close friends from before stopped talking to him. And all, and he, he also said, you know, I, I suddenly got better looking and more charming because women started coming at him. He's like, they never noticed me before. Sure. I mean, and he said, you know, and new friends, people were always coming around. And he said, you know, it was it was kind of cool but kind of like really disconcerting. Yeah. 
Because, you know, and this, and the higher up you go in wealth, it's like, yeah, who can I trust? Well, that's, that's one real problem rich people have, like really rich people. Sure. It's like you, somebody comes to you in friendship and you're like, what's your angle? Right. Because you're loaded. Then that kind of like ties into the last question I want to ask before we get into the song, which is like, I, I, I want I want money. You want money. You would love your book to be, you know, is it, you know, bestseller, all of that stuff. I have this idea that if I ever make, a, you know, even the money that I make that I have never made before, I always try to like, okay, how can I give this back? We need to give back. I want to give, how do these trillionaires not just give to the, to the um, poor school systems or all of that stuff? Um, if we ascend, and I'm talking about you and me, Mike. If we were to ascend, can we beat the system? Can we be good rich guys? It Does it exist? Or do you become this animal because you have the money and all of these people start talking to you and you just become this, I need to protect my money? Like, can you be, are there good examples? And, uh, you know, or are we all doomed if we make a lot of money? There's a guy I met while doing my book called Chuck Feeney. He's the guy who founded the duty-free shopping business. Mm-hmm made billions of dollars, billions and billions. And over time, he, but then he sort of decided the, the wealthy lifestyle wasn't for him. He kind of decided he wanted to wear regular clothes and drive a regular car. And he started surreptitiously giving money away. He put his entire business, I mean, this is a big business. He put it in a trust secretly. He set it up, I think, in Bermuda because you didn't have to reveal, you know, the details. To the public and he started giving away just millions and millions of dollars secretly yeah. and he would go around he would go around like the king walking among the commoners in disguise yeah eat this and bread he would here, he'd go and meet people bread. right yeah he would meet people and kind of get to know what they were doing and and kind of befriend them and then all of a sudden they're getting you know 500 million dollars <laughs> yeah to support their thing so he gave away $86 billion in his lifetime. That's incredible. And he kept $2 million for himself. That's all he fucking needs. That's all yeah. he needs. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Because, like, the way that I, you know, if I see, uh, I don't always give money to homeless people. But when I do, what I, you know, if I have it, I will. Or it depends on, actually, if I'm being honest, it depends on my mood, where I'm going, how fast I need to get there. So what I, what I like to do, if I have a 20, and then I'll just, like, the one day, here you go, 20 bucks. Do you know what that 20 bucks does for that person? Like for me, 20 bucks is 20 bucks and I love 20 bucks. Don't get me wrong. But that's like life changing for that day. You know what I mean? And I feel like if these trillionaires were to just, you know, identify these so many families, so many all that stuff. So it's nice to hear those stories. Yeah. Um, you know, no, no. On the other hand, mm-hmm. I've also talked to sort of good, rich people, people who have the right sentiment. They say, look, you know, we should be taxed more. The system is totally rigged for people with wealth like me. I mean, like them. Um, And they have all these advantages and it shouldn't be that way. But at the same time, they are using all the advantages uh, because there's so many things, ways to like legally avoid taxes and so forth. And even if they say I should be taxed more, they're hiring these Wall Street banks that are lobbying in the background to keep all those advantages. Mm -hmm. So 
when you get involved in that system, you're a, bit, a little bit complicit, even if you have good intentions. Yeah, because like you were, you've you've mentioned, I, I I saw that you were mentioning like when you reach these heights of wealth, you're meeting people that we don't know exist. There are these like firms of things that we like they don't care about. We don't know that, and then they just come knocking on your door, and they're like, oh yeah. Well, yes, you are supposedly getting taxed, but it's kind of like how, like, I was just watching a thing on last week, John Oliver, where he was talking about how FanDuel uses a loops, uh, like, so it's like a skills-based website, not gambling, mm. even though you could still right. lose everything you have five times in, a, in on one Sunday. So there's always these loopholes, but, you know, everybody read Jackpot, it rules, um, and we're going to go to a quick break and then come back and we're going to talk about All I Need is a Miracle. That was a great break, wasn't it, Mike? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that break. Um, all right, so let's get to today's song. We have a we have a group of songs that are in what's called the the stink tank, and we ask guests to like come up with. Now you just picked this song, isn't that right, Mike? That's right. It's yeah, personally enough. Yeah, because your name is Mike Mechanic. Is your right. actual last name is Mechanic? That's right. Unbelievable. You know, I, there's some people I know for years, and they come up to me. They says. Your name's really mechanic. Yeah, of course. That's not a, a nickname, right? Yeah, I know. I'm not the first person to bring this up to you, but like, I remember as a kid, I was in a, um, I was on a basketball team with a kid called Ryan Shoemaker, you know, and I was just like, that's an amazing name. He's a shoemaker, right? So does this go back to like your olden days of like you come from mechanics? Like, is this you know, uh, and and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but like you know. It, or is it just like, you know, were you O mechanic? Were you mechanic Shevsky? You know, what's happening here, Mike? Well, you know, you think about it, there's a lot of names that we take for granted that are profession names. Smith, right? Yeah, right. Cooper. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of them in, you know, people you meet in America with profession names. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, I don't know. It was, it, it was Mechanic. It's okay. from Eastern Europe. And... It was like mechanic, but spelled with a K on the end. Okay. And I think, I've never quite looked it up, but I think it might have meant the carpenter because back then there were no cars, right? Right. So uh, my grandfather comes through Ellis Island in New York and the guy says, we're going to change this to a C. You're, now you're mechanic. Right. right? And have that you, was it. Have you ever hung out with like, do you have a buddy like, you know, carpenter? Like, it'd be great if you just had, like, you know, like, everybody's hanging around, like, it's Cooper, Smith, Mechanic, Carpenter. <laughs> That's you know? funny. Yeah, you could have a little club, right? Right. I do have a lot of carpenters in my family, but they're not on that side, unfortunately. Okay. Well, so, okay. So we, we can't fix anything, man. No. I did replace a radiator once. I'm terrible. I'm like, I mean, not a radio, but an alternator. I'm a quarter man. I just moved into this house. I'm bombing <laughs> left and right. My girlfriend's looking at me like, who are you? I was like, I play guitar. A quarter man? I play, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, what? Oh, I, that's sad. I mean, yeah, but here's the thing. It's like, I, you know, I could, I could figure out a song for you right now, but we got to change a tire. It might take a couple of, it might take a couple hours, but, uh, all right. So you're Mike mechanic. We got a real office space situation going on right here because in the movie office space, there's a character by the name of Michael Bolton. And then, um, you know, he's the joke is, is just like, why should I change my name? He's the one who sucks. And he was born before that. Your name is Mike mechanic. There is a band called Mike and the mechanics. This is unbelievable. It's an offshoot from Genesis. And in case you're uh, not familiar, they had a, their second biggest song, I think, is All I Need is a Miracle. So we're going to listen to that right now. Adam, will you put it on? Your call is important to us. 
Right now I'm thinking like, okay, do I want a bag of chips or do I want pretzels? I'm in the store. Like this is this is what this song is. I'm like, you know, how come there isn't more pretzels? Like how come pretzels don't have small bags? They're always like big bags of pretzels. That's what this song is making me think of because it's just I'm in a Walgreens or I'm in a 7-Eleven or, you know. That's actually that's actually a very fitting description. Like you that's what you'd expect to hear in a Walgreens or a 7 Yeah, and can you hear the quality of it right now? Just kind of, it sounds like the speakers from the store. Like we're, I'm in, a, this is really weird. I feel like, we're, I feel like we're walking down the Band-Aid aisle right now. Uh, Adam, you could cut it. And uh, Mike, why don't you just tell us a little story about, um, I don't know how old you are, but around 1986, when the band starts to come out and what happened to you being Mike Mechanic. All right, well, first of all, I, I'm a musician. I started playing piano when I was four years old. Okay and uh got pretty good at it and sort of moved on to other instruments i played in a lot of bands in high school mostly then took a break during college and then after college but i played keyboards i played drums um you know sang backup i know i play the fiddle <laughs> I play some old-time yeah. music but uh and i started a little record label in santa cruz called bad monkey records put out like 16 releases okay um yeah because you're bay area and, right you're bay area yeah Okay, so you yeah, were like so Gilman Street, part of that scene. like Gilman Street. For those of people that don't know what the Gilman Street punk scene in the Bay Area was like, can you explain that a little bit? It actually came about right around that time. I think eighty six, eighty seven. Uh, it was founded by Timmy Ohana, who did Maximum Rock and Roll. Um, it's an all ages punk club in Berkeley, California. Nine two four Gilman. It was sort of the hotbed of a lot of early, you know, Lookout Records and and uh, Green Day and uh, Operation Ivy, which became rancid. Um, a lot of kind of, it, it was the center of a huge uh, scene in the East Bay that was, you know, international, became internationally known and people still like make a pilgrimage. It's still around. Mm -hmm. You go there, you know, you pay six bucks for membership and it's a collective uh, and you just go there, you know, no alcohol, no drugs um, and a bunch of bands play and it's fun. I heard you in one of your earlier uh, podcasts talking about being, you know, the op having to be the opener. Like that's that was oh, your yeah. claim to fame opening. So, so I got open for Green Day <laughs> okay. at Gilman Street. Of course, we changed the flyer so we were on top. Sure. Instead of you know the first band. What year and, was that? Uh, what year was that? There's God, some that Green was Day. like late eighties. I was like okay. eighty nine maybe. Okay. Um, and then you know I was in a different band. I opened for Fugazi. Okay. Which was my punk rock, you know, victory of all time. You're beating but, me. Yeah. You're beat you're beating me big time on the openers, <laughs> man. I mean, I got I got a couple, but you know, I'm trying to think like, you know, I've been in festivals and stuff, but like I've opened for like Guided by Voices. Like there's 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 some of that, but I mean like, you know, as far as you know, Green Green Day. You, I mean, you were backstage, and well, there wasn't a stage. I'm sure there was no. <laughs> I heard Mike Dernt's a little loquacious. Is is I heard Mike Dernt's going to tell a story that you're not too interested in. Um, will well, you there get the no dirt backstage. on Dernt? I, yeah, there was no backstage. I didn't really even talk to the guys. I just okay. you know, went and played. Um, and then Fugazi. But, so they had to be pretty big when you were when you were playing with them, right? If oh, they were, were huge. Yeah, yeah. No, in, instantly selling out. You know, five ten thousand. Uh, place you know uh, it was these all giant all ages shows you just rented big hall and right. boom you know and they would bring a big sound system okay so that that was that was wonderful i mean it was so cool uh so you know I, if if 
my name was Fugazi and that band had come along and named itself Fugazi, I would have no problem with that. Right. But here I am, I'm a sophomore in college, 1986, I was at Berkeley. I was totally unaware that this band was forming that was gonna be the bane of my existence. Mm -hmm. Because everybody I met for the next 20 years, you know, cops who pulled me over, bank tellers, the guy in the bakery, the, you know, everybody, hey, you know, there's this band, Mike and the Mechanics, as though, you know, I never heard it before. And I feel, um, no, no, I've never heard of them, you know? Uh, or I, mean, I just It's not smile. a good genesis, yeah, you know yeah. what I you mean? It's not it, like, right? it's, you didn't even get that. The main, this is a side project, you know what I mean? But <sighs> it's like a successful side project. So it's just like, you know, I mean, living years was everywhere. You know, yeah. And then, you know, and 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 like the fact, that, the fact that Mike and the mechanic, like that's unbelievable. Like when I saw it, your name is Mike Mechanic. I mean, it it instantly happens. Like you don't have a choice. Like you can't blame people. You know what I mean? It's like, right, they, right. They just when you break your leg, and you know, you, people say what happened. Right. And then everybody, you know, you want to get a T-shirt that says what happened. Yeah. Or it says, you know, yes, I've heard of Mike and the Mechanics. Right. Well, I would try to, to not do that. If we met each other at a function, right, and I'd be like, oh, Mike, like, I would give you a break from that. You know what I mean? It's well, like I kind of feel like you know, when someone has a mark on their face and it's just like, don't talk about the mark. Like, they know about the mark. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so it's just like I try to help people out in that regard. Now, this song, it is eternally, it's it's cheesy by default because it's, but it's also a product of its time. It's one of these tunes that immediately feels like a montage in a movie um, or that you're on hold or that you're in a Walgreens. It's just one of those kind of songs. But then as I was listening to it today, I was thinking to myself, like, what if the Beatles happened in the 80s? And like, what if Nowhere Man sounded like this song? You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine? Because it's well, they just wouldn't like, have been there is the a Beatles. charm to some 80s music. And I don't, I don't, like, I think that I'm softening up on it a little bit as I get older. Like, you know, Infidels is like, I love that Bob Dylan record. It sounds like shit. It's like the 80s through the roof kind of production, right? I don't know if this song could be cool if it was recorded in 1968. It probably couldn't be. But I feel like if it would help it a little bit. This is just like the most bottled 80s sounding Adam will you put it on again and I just want to see Mike's reaction to it again so look I grew up with cheesy right mm -hmm. I grew up in the 70s and cheesy was the thing in fact the, uh, the guy who wrote this song was, the, well, Mike Rutherford wrote it with the producer, uh, Christopher Neal. Mm -hmm. And Christopher Neal also did like Jerry Rafferty sure. and the Moody Blues yeah. and some other stuff like that. You know, Jerry Rafferty's cheesy, but he's like 70s cheesy and it's kind of, you know, because I grew up in the 70s, I, you know, I kind of like that. But there's also a cheesy thing, like my band Juke, we used to talk about it, it was called Victory Rock. Victory Rock is like Survivor. Yeah. It's like Eye of the Tiger. Mm -hmm. It's like triumphant yeah. and just, oh, it's so like self, 
admit, admitting that it's cheese. It's not earnest. Well, it is earnest, but it's 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 so bad it's great. Yeah, we're gonna take it to the top. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, and it's so fun. It's just fun, right? No, no, this song is different because there's just no feeling in it whatsoever. I mean, you listen to the lyrics, okay? It's about you know, you go and you want, you know, I said, go if you want to go, stay if you want to stay. I don't, it's like this apathy. Yeah. And it's like this loser guy uh, that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Mike Rutherford cared about him either. In fact, in fact, there's an interview I read and he, the guy's like, what do we think of this guy? He wasn't very nice to that, that woman. And Mike Rutherford says, oh, there you go. Uh, Mike Rutherford says, yeah, he's he's lazy and average. And wait, I'm like, that's what wait, Rutherford wait, said Mike about. Rutherford said the guy in the song is lazy and average. I'm like, yeah, well, the song is lazy and average. Yeah, and not just because the lyrics, like everything about it is lazy and average. The progressions, the the structure, uh, you know, the way it's the way it's performed. It tries a little too hard. There's a uh, modulation for the second verse. Like that's when you know you got nothing. Oh, it, it's just it transposes. Like, oh yeah, like immediately. It's almost like all right, we're flatlining here. What are we gonna do? We gotta bring up the second verse. You know what I mean? I, mean, I a- had exactly the same thought. It's yeah. like, you, you, you transpose a song because it's got nothing musically. What else interesting can you do? It. You know, it's a Barry Manilow special. It's like I saw. Isn't it amazing what we remember? It's like. I don't remember so much, man. I mean, I could barely do algebra at this point, but I remember when Barry Manilow said that, oh, modulation is very important in a song. And then it was just like VH1 or something like that. And then I realized every single Barry Manilow song has a modulation in it. But there's a line in this song too that really got me when I was listening to it today, which is, I'm going to love you for the rest of your life, which is like a little cocky. You know what I mean? It's just like, I'm going to be around. Like, it's not, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life. I'm going to love you for the rest of your life. So it's like, you don't have a choice. As long as you're alive, I'm going to love you. You know what I mean? I'm going to stalk you. I'm going to stalk you. Right. And then if I die. Because she wants nothing to do with that guy. Right. I mean, he was, he was completely apathetic. Mm -hmm. And and see, I find there's like a logical jump between what's in the words and then that and then the the lead up to the chorus where he says, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you for the rest of your life." It's like, are you kidding me? Like you yeah. had no interest in her, right? And also, it's like yeah. if he drops dead, that's saying that I'm gonna come back and haunt you. You know what I mean? Like he's saying that, you know, I will haunt you one from my grave. The guy from Mike and the Mechanics. Who is? What's the guy's name? And the guy from Mike is he Mike? Mike Rutherford. No, Mike Rutherford's the well. He's the Genesis guy, but who's the singer? I forget. He was the guy who sang. Oh, in uh, this song, it's Paul Young. Yeah, Paul Young. So is he the one? And that's he he was in a band called Sad Cafe. Okay. Um, he's a he's a British guy. You know, he does this, like pretty schmaltzy pop. Squeeze though, wasn't uh, he the guy? In, did he was he in Squeeze? There's a Squeeze no. connection, isn't there? No, no, you're thinking of Paul Carrick, who okay. does he he wrote some other songs for them. Okay, and like. They should have just stuck with Paul Carrick because you know he did "Tempted by the Fruit of Another" the right, Squeeze yeah, song. Yeah, he did. Um, How long yeah. has this, this been going? going Which it's funny. I mean, that's a cool song, and it turns out it was because his bass player was like two timing him. He was like going off with some other band, and he without telling him, 
band so infidelity? So you think it's about this? A band you think infidelity. It's about your lover. I mean, I guess a band is like a marriage. So it's like Genesis, Peter Gabriel, you know, whatever. Phil comes out. Phil kind of sings exactly like Peter in a way, but has his own voice. And they become a huge pop band, right? And then Phil triples down. And, I mean, no one wins more than Phil, even though he was suicidal in, a, in an article with Rolling Stone like five years ago. So talk about jackpot, Mike. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter how happy, how much he got, right? So it's just like Phil decides that, you know what, I'm going to do my own album. And then his own album kills it. So now Rutherford and Banks are pissed. They're like, what are we going to do, right? So then they start their own thing which is kind of like Journey, how Steve Perry had a hit with Street Talk. Neil Sean starts Sean and Hammer. Sean gets, and then Perry gets pissed, or Sean got pissed off because Perry sounded too much like Journey. And then Sean was just like, no, man, I'm doing this thing with Hammer. It's completely different from Journey. But, like, Phil's doing basically Genesis, right? Had a big hit. You got to think Rutherford and Banks got to strike back. They come out with Mike and the Mechanics. And now they both have. So there's just so many hits coming out of these people. It's, it's Pat, all... it's amazing. Like your your analysis, because like I was have the same exact thoughts. Like Rutherford is sitting around going, "Oh man, Peter Gabriel is kicking butt," mm-hmm. and Phil is out there. You know, he he's getting hit after hit. Yeah, I got to do a side project too. Right. There's always been like maybe it's just when I'm thinking the land of confusion video, but there's only one Mike Rutherford, and he's like not a guitar hero, right? I mean, he's playing like. Let me get the strat out. Oh like, God, yeah. He's like it's more hold music, right? I mean, that's basically what he does. You know what I mean? Wait, on that song? Well, all of them, really. I because, mean, because I hear this, you know, you can barely hear the guitar, except it comes in every once in a while with like a little sound effect, yeah. like a thunder crash or a synth effect. But then it's like, but then it's like, yeah, there's always know? like a. So it's like, you're simply the best. Better than all the rest. Like those little lines that happen after the verses, that those are what I call 80s simply the best. So it's like you got a ton of those. Go where you want to go. Um, um, yeah. Do what you want to say. Banks. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I was going to the money. You were saying what you didn't want to know We were going, we were fighting We were lovers And this is like every one of those pop conventions that, that you have Because they wanted it, they needed a hit, Mike They needed a hit Tony and Mike needed a hit And maybe that's what kept Genesis together Because they could go and get back together and just be like, you know, we had a top five hit as well, didn't we, Phil? You know? It actually, you know, now that I think about it, did they have AIs back then? Because it feels like an AI wrote this song. It sounds like and it. And the lyrics. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's get to a bridge. Adam, is there a bridge in this thing? Here's the love you for the rest of your life. Your life.
Got to go up on the third one. Always go up on the third ones. They love this little turnaround. Oh, God, that turnaround. This is a good good decision here, boys. Good decision. Jesus. Okay. Christ. We got to talk about this. Play it. Again, though, I'll go back to it. Like, imagine if that sound was in Sgt. Pepper's. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't... When you think that sound is in Sgt. Pepper? No, but like if the if the Beatles were in the '80s, you know what I mean? It's okay. just like come on, man. I know. Listen, <laughs> I'm not. No, this is like. I mean, it's it's hilarious that that is the solo. But I mean, if you listen to any of the songs, like that sound, whatever that fucking sound is, I forget what it is. But like, I know what it is. What is it? Well, first of all, I was thinking, what's well, so that was a keyboard solo? It yes, it was. Yes, of course. And like this, first of all, does this synthesizer have a Kenny G setting? Uh-huh. And then I was thinking, that doesn't quite capture it. It's more like, like Kenny G farting helium. Okay, I've never heard that sentence before. That's a that's an author. That's why we bring in an author, everybody. That's a wordsmith right there. We got down there. That's Kenny G farting. Uh, what did you say? Helium. Yeah, farting helium. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you see what I mean? Yeah, Kenny H. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and and that was like I'm pretty sure the same sound was maybe in in the Africa solo or something like that. I mean, those sounds, but but like at the same time, it's like you can call me out has some real cheesy sounds in it, but I love you can call me out. But this song, you know, is is like let's let's hear it out. We we got to finish this thing and then we'll do some final thoughts on it. like that's one thing that our generation just doesn't do anymore i mean you take bob seeger man you put him in it's like the chorus is going for you know 40 times in a row and then you just hear the riffs you know what i mean like all i need is a miracle (laughs) and you know that's what they're doing it's probably the end of the session it's like no do another one mike do another one you know so here's what rutherford if we're talking about rutherford though i mean here's what he could have done i mean he's got to strat use it right so it's just like he could have brought in diamonds you know what diamonds means mike Mm-mm. in the biz so recording it's just like it, it's basically just a whole note you know what i mean like a big so like why not at least just do like all i need is a miracle all i need is you just a little Pat, bit. i like your version better already just a little bit of something you know what i mean yeah same chord progression as two princes which i think i'm taking princes over the song just go ahead now or you could have you know you could have a glorious ending on a single chord but of course they do the fade out right i mean this thing peters in and peters out what else is it gonna do you know yeah i mean well the funny thing have you have you watched the video i take it i have yeah it fades out. They're playing live in a club, and it fades out, <laughs> which is so funny. Yeah. What do you – so, like, Living Years came first, right? Is this the second? Yeah. Okay, so that was when it really happened to you. So, like, 86, let's just let's just go back. Let's dial back a little bit. 86, Mike Mechanic, you're in the Bay Area, right? Um, I, let's see. Yeah, I was here. Okay. Um, what bands are you listening to at that time? 
80, in the mid eighties, I guess I was listening to a lot of, I was listening to X a lot. Okay. Um, you know, stuff like psychedelic for a lot kind of new wavey punky, but also, you know, a lot of reggae, a lot of hip hop, like earlier hip hop. Okay. Um, guys, cause I was like, in, I was living out in New Jersey in my high school years and you know, we got the kind of early hip hop really early. Mm -hmm. And so I, mean, I remember going to the crush group Christmas show at Madison square garden. It was like me and my stepbrother and his friends were like the only white people in there. Yeah. Um, but it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Houdini, Curtis blow, yeah. uh, run DMC, LL cool J. So you, so, got you know, best, I listened to all that stuff. You got best of both worlds. So you were a Jersey guy and then you, and then you, uh, and then you went to the West coast. What was that? Well, I, grew up in, I grew up in Wisconsin. So. Jesus Christ, you're hitting the cycle. It's a hat trick, man. You're the American. Wisconsin hat -trick. was always a little, you know, I lived in Madison. It, it was kind of, we always got music a little late. My, my first concert was Kiss okay. at the Coliseum there, like during the Destroyer years, yeah. right? And they, they had that album cover with the monster boots. Like I stared at that damned album cover all through middle school. I was right. obsessed. Yes. You read the liner notes and they talk about Gene Simmons' forked tongue and how he spat blood and whatever. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, so w what year were you born, Mike? Uh, 65. Okay, so you're about... McGeezer. All right, so you're like 10 when Kiss is really happening and shit like that. So for me, yeah. it's just I never got Kiss, and I like a spectacle. I do. It's just I don't give a fuck about Kiss. And it's all right, though. Right, Mike? It's all right that I don't care yeah, about Yeah, well, my Kiss? second show was Peter Frampton. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was just... Kiss, I got into like intensely for a short time. You know, what it is when you're a kid, mm -hmm. it's like you obsess on something and then you're on to the next thing. Yeah. And they, they had all the gimmicks that a middle school kid would love. Right? Absolutely. And like, yeah. I appreciate what they like. They blew up a lighting rig, like the drummer plays a solo and then he goes, You think that's cool? Check this out. And then they blow up a lighting rig. Like, I appreciate that. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they like, got Ace with the smoking guitar and then. Peter yeah. Chris with the drum stand that rises 50 feet in the air and unveils a big Unbelievable cat dr banner. Unbelievable drum riser. Um, yeah. But I mean, I just recently saw Rammstein and, uh, mm. and it was, the, it was the best thing I've ever seen. It was, I mean, I'm not even a fan. Like I, I just, I went to the concert cause I knew it was going to be a spectacle and it was the most artistic thing. I swear to God I've ever seen. I'm not blowing. I like it. It, it was incredible what they were doing with light and with fire and with sound and, and all of that stuff. Um, so, I mean, I, maybe I, I could get into Kiss. No, I'm not getting into Kiss. But anyway, the point is, is that 86 comes around. You're listening to, like, post-punk. You're listening to, like, psychedelic furs, like you said. You're Mike Mechanic. You're Mike Mechanic. This band comes out, and it immediately impacts you. Like, do your friends, like, start to immediately embrace this? Like, is it, how fast did it happen? Oh, no, 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 nobody, I, you know, no one I liked to bring. I mean, I was, I was a bit of a music snob when I was younger. It's like, I would go to your house, I would look through your albums, and then I would decide if I liked you. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm already putting, the first band you said was X, Mike. Like, I know who I'm talking to right now. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, you as this 86 music snob, and now you have the name of the, possibly the cheesiest band um, on the, on the airwaves at this point. Um, you know, that's an amazing experience that not many people have had. I mean, can you think of like, imagine if the, you know, the last name was, um, you know, I mean, I guess there are wingers out there, you know what I mean? There's, there could be a warrant out there. 
you know, there uh, there could be another Richard Marks. Like, imagine if your name was Richard Marks. Would you rather be Richard Marks or Mike Mechanic? Oh, I mean, I like my name. Yeah, it's, your name's awesome. It's just, actually, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant doing this podcast because, I, you know, I don't want to revive that name. It's like, it has just gotten to where all the younger people yeah. have no idea who they are, right? right? It's still like only, it's generational. So I still get it, but not very often now. No. On the subject of reviving the name, I just want to jump in for a second because they revive the name a little bit too. Pat, can I play these uh, these new versions? Oh yeah, so oh, Adam told me God. that. I didn't know about this. They, they re-recorded this song twice. It's like it so they did a version in 96 and then they did a version in like 2019 or something like that. Here's 96 where real drums enter the room. Okay. The tempo is a little up in this version too. They might put it up a couple BPMs. I still have a yeah. Okay, stop that one. I always love like the re-singers, and I don't even think like so. This is happening a lot lately. Like Tara Swift is redoing her records and stuff like that. Like so that people like can have their own masters. So they you know, or for licensing purposes too. A lot of people will be like, I don't own the masters. I'm just going to re-record this, and if I put it in the TV show, this is the one that I'm going to give them, so I get the money. I don't think that this is what it was. I just think that they had nothing else to do, and they wanted live drums on this. Um, and also. Like, I love the second take of the singer. Like, you know, man, I wish that I did a little bit more in that verse. You know what I mean? Go where yes. you want to go. You know what I mean? It's like, so wait, oh, what year was that? Did... That's 96. Yeah, 96. So, you know, so Paul Young, is that still Paul Young? He, you know, he died in 2000 of a heart attack at age 53. So I didn't want to make too much fun of him. I, I mean, well, here's 19 where the voice uh, starts to go a bit. And the fills really start to happen. Okay. So this is the Genesis. Yeah, they just have the backbeat going. Yeah, this is. So this is not going to be Paul Young unless they use his vocal. Okay, the drums are way better. Yeah. He's actually doing something. Yeah. Ooh, Phil, even. I mean, did they get Phil to play on this? Because it kind of sounds no, like... No, I said uh, drum Phil. <laughs> no, but like, Phil, Phil... They kept that intro. Different singer, of course. That is an up-front vocal. It's more organic. I mean, this is way better. It's way better. I'm kind of giving it to them on this. Like, I kind of feel like I'm glad they did this. Like, I say all the time, can you cut it, Adam? So I kind of feel like I say this all the time. I wish that Paul Westerberg would do this with the replacements records. Like, get rid of those 80s drums. Like, give me, keep everything else. Just go in and play drums. You know what I mean? There's so many, like, rock records from the 80s that I wish would do that. Like, I feel like, you know, I don't know if you're a Matt's guy, but, like, for me, the replacements, I love them. Their albums sound like shit. You know, it's just those gated drums, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of wish that they would do that. I mean, he never will. But, like, 
You know, I kind of wish that more bands would do that, that were, like, subject to, like, bad 80s production or, you know, shitty. I mean, as a... As a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Up Ivy. It's... That album... I love that album, but it was... You know, the production values, they're pretty poor. It's rough. But I kind of like it for that reason, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's It's raw. It makes it raw. If the songs are good, to, you know, and I'm glad you said raw because you know what this is? This is podcast, and we can, and it's real and it's raw, yeah. isn't it, Mike? This podcast yeah. is real and raw. Let's go to a break, and then uh, everybody enjoy this commercial. We'll be right back. We're back from the break, and I still have the strat. One of my friends on Mike and the Mechanics lyrics, he says it sounded like Mike Rutherford just wrote them at breakfast that morning. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Like, well, he must have been eating like Wonder Bread and skim milk. Right. Well, that's what like the Traveling Wilburys did. And some of those songs do stink, if I'm being honest. But like, mm. they're still great. Like, you know, but they would just have dinner and they would write lyrics. So, you know, that's pretty much where like, last night, talking about last night. Um, did, did you ever heard of the band Guitar or GTR? No. That was one of the guys from Genesis, Steve Hackett, I think. Okay. That was his side project. But. And and that was like that was like victory rock. It was it's just yeah complete cheese, but it, it's funny, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just kind it's of just, yeah. I mean, there's like it, part it of it over the top kind of shit where it's just like, um, what's the song that Wet Hot American Summer used? That song rules. I forget the name. Of I it. mean, it, it, as long if you have like some good just you know, some riffs and some like heavy guitar or whatever, you can get away with that, you know? But but if you have this milk toast song on top of the cheese, yeah. then it becomes schmaltz. You know what schmaltz is? What is what is schmaltz? Schmaltz is when you make chicken stock and then you refrigerate it and it's the chicken fat that solidifies on the top and you skim it off and you make you can make matzo balls matzo balls with it that's actually what schmaltz that's is. what schmaltz it's rendered chicken fat good fucking god mike you're the best listen i've been going my whole life i didn't know what schmaltz was and now i found out i mean you learn something yeah. every day and speaking of like um like you know talking about victory rock what's always really made me laugh is like you know the ultimate right oh yeah like it's a badass riff, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it turns. I actually into... listened to that song while thinking about, you know, all I need is a miracle because they do some little things in there that reminded me of it. But, but when I, I listened to the Survivor song and it's just so much more heavy and rocking and just like, um, bom, bom, bom. But it's, it's then like it does. Fun, but then know? it does turn into rising up, back on Oh yeah. Feet. Okay, so that I is mean, like, it's like that's awful. But. It's kind of like right, like crazy yeah. train. Like yeah, this this riff, right? But then it and goes. Then it's... All right, so let's wrap up this song. It stinks, um, but it's like it's. It's it's guilty because it's so cheesy. There are songs in that vein that I'm not just saying because it sounds like 80s or that I don't like it. There's a lot of songs that I do like that have this kind of production to it. And I feel like it's not the production's fault. This song is actually just, it's, this song is lousy. Like, that's that's what it is. And it put your name, it gave your name a bad name, you know? Um, and your name is really fucking cool. Your name is Mike Mechanic. You're an author. Is there anything else you want to plug besides Jackpot? Or do uh, is, is that the main plug right now? 
No, I want to, we can plug taking down Trump forever, but yeah, sure. That's... Absolutely, he's a piece of shit. We can uh we could plug that and uh and that was a great I think that's a great way to end the episode. Mike, um I said it in the beginning, I'll say it again. One of the coolest things about this podcast so far is that I get to meet people and it was so cool getting to meet you and talk to you, especially about your book. I mean, I knew this song stunk, but I learned things about the super rich people. And, uh, you know, you're a really cool, interesting guy. So everybody check out Mike Mechanic at all the social bullshit. And then, Mike, if you would tell people to please go to patfinity.net. Please go to patfinity.net. <laughs> thank you, where you can find all the social links. And we're also going to thank uh, executive producer Adam Levin, and we're going to thank me also as an executive producer and Starburns Audio Network. This is a podcast, everybody. Let's start acting like it. Let's rate it, whatever, do all the shit. And uh, let's thank Mike and get out of here. Mike, thanks again, and uh, let's get the hell out of here. Well, you could write a country tune, set your mind on daddy's phone. Keep it simple and true to form By the way it's done You can play the rap track Get the alphabet and chew in on the phrasing Once you get to the end of the line It's amazing Dropping like bombs You can write a metal rap The devil is dead and strong Screaming all night A pop banger Seven figures for some running numbers I like the old ones better than the new ones Coming on too strong You could write a folk ditty Tell the tale of a god of a neighbor Same old story and it's always changing Going on and on and on and on Well you could write a jazz number Hot coals and my soul is blazing the right notes are never wrong Off the top of my head Ah, you can write a poem, song Throw the nation down, blow up the flag Show another to a piece of track Getting back in love You can write a disco song Getting down in Hogwarts Fifty four and four on a floor You wanna dance on my heart, yeah could write a reggae rhythm Let go and drop the one Getting deeper than your fear can go It's a holy sad how You could write a classical piece Brilliantly composing forms Death expressed harmonically Rainbows of complexity You could write your own song Hit the road from here to Hong Kong Look at all them fools that made it Just strumming along 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 Starbands Avenue, a podcast network